City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. You're listening to Inside the Hive on the All Hornets Podcast Network. One podcast feed with multiple shows, making sure we cover the Charlotte Hornets from every angle. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review. The All Hornets Podcast Network is affiliated with the Fans First Sports Podcast Group. Today's show, we are warming up to trade season, but we're not going to get there just yet. We've got a couple of things to touch on this week before we really get into some of the trade talk, ramping up to the deadline next week. But this week, we've got some news items to hit on, uh, contract decisions, lottery standings, some uh, fresh injury updates. Then we're going to give some shout outs to guys who are probably less talked about just generally by anyone who follows the NBA about Nick Smith Jr. and Nathan Mensah. And then we're going to finish the show just recapping this kind of strange PJ Washington season that we've had so far. Um, but before we do that, I'm joined by my co-host Chase Whitney, who has just cut himself getting ice off his court car minutes before the podcast. Um, Chase, how are you doing? Not going to bleed out on me here, are you? No, I don't think so. It seems to have uh, cauterized itself now, so the blood, the bleeding seems to have stopped for me at least. For the Hornets, uh, as of late, not so much. The bleeding well, is very much still continuing. They won a game. I, they that, they stopped the a streak. game. That is they, true. They did. Stop that the is very true. Since we last spoke, we were you know we were talking about maybe one of the Bulls games or the Spurs game for the next win. They beat mm-hmm. the Kings. Um, I mean, we're not going to touch on that too much because I know uh, Hornets and Heartbreak and Buzz Boys. They 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 touched on that already, but look, just good to get the win to get like the streak, you know, voodoo off your back. Um, and I thought they played actually a really good game from start to finish. Um, so I was pretty impressed with the team to get a win on the road against the Kings. Weird things always happen in Sacramento. It's a it's a very strange place for the Charlotte Hornets whenever they play basketball there. But yeah, so the Hornets have won since we last spoke. Um, I made my return to basketball tonight after nine months out, uh, following breaking my hand. And Chase, I was marking the same guy, the same guy who broke my hand, right, nine months ago. And I'm being careful. And the, the, I'm just like, he's got his back to me. And he tries to go, remember that like behind the back transition pass that Lamelo made, like up the court where he flung it behind his back, like kind of flew his right arm around. To the ball. Oh, the, uh, that one for like Mason Plumley, I think, for yes. a dunk or Okay, yep, yep, Correct. I remember exactly what he, you're talking about. He tried to do that in the half court, cross court, but I'm standing right behind him. So he just like flailed through with his right arm and smashed me across the face. Like the same this guy's got the, it the out very for same you. guy, the first time I played basketball in nine months, I turn up literally like third possession, I swear he's got it in for me. He's like Draymond greening me. You know what I mean? He's not in control of his limbs. Um, so we need to get some type of, you know, Trafford basketball suspension implemented here. We need to get him some counseling and some help like Draymond's getting. Got to add flopping to the call your own fouls rules because clearly 
he would be sending a lot of possessions the other way with his erratic movements. It seems like you've definitely got a, a regular Draymond Green on your hands, which yeah, not a very pleasant thing to play pickup basketball against. That that play style only works in the NBA. There's not a, a recreational no. friendly style whatsoever. But yeah, it was it was time I got back. The um you got the dads will know what I'm talking about here, and you will get to know this in the future. And other younger listeners, when you become a dad, there is this magnificent six-month grace period where you can eat and drink like no matter what you want, and no one cares about anything. Like people bring around biscuits, chocolate, like whatever you want. You get takeout because you've got a baby. It's just glorious. No one cares. No one cares what you look like, how you feel, anything like that. But it does have to end, and my six months is over. So we start the new year in the most cliche fashion. But uh, for, for the new the new dads or the, the dads to be, look forward to those six months because that is that's time you never get back with your terrible diet. I think I might be ahead of the game with that because I kind of do a lot of those things anyway with getting takeout and not necessarily exercising all that much. So I, I feel like I'm going to be really good at that if if or when the time ever comes. So get, get your reps. That's at least a positive. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Some news to start the show. <clears throat> um, well, let's firstly start with some contract decisions from over the weekend. So Frank Nilakina, Ismith. JT Thor all had uh, contract options where they could have essentially been waived over the weekend. None of them were. Um, I guess any any immediate thoughts on that? We're not going to spend too much on this, but there was, you know, we thought we might get a press release of sorts saying they've been guaranteed, but it seems like the, the team just let the deadline pass, which means their contracts are now guaranteed. Any Anything to take from that at all? I mean, it definitely doesn't surprise me that they kept all three of those guys uh, Frank would be, I guess, the the leading candidate, maybe uh, even, I guess. I don't know if a lot of people would even agree with that. But to me, Frank would be the leading candidate to be waived. Uh, but he also hasn't even played yet. And it seems like Steve Clifford yeah. was pretty much really looking forward to him being a part of the rotation, much less just being a healthy bench player that they have to use in situations when players are injured. It seemed like he was going to be a part of their you know, top seven, eight, nine, whenever the team was fully healthy anyway. But Ish Smith, I didn't expect to be waived because he's basically the only other true point guard on the roster besides LaMelo right now. And obviously, JT Thor is a young player that seems to at least have a pretty good standing in the locker room and doesn't seem to put up much of a stink about not being in the rotation on a nightly basis. So, you know, there, there are positives to everything, and they've got enough of them going for each of them as as individuals for all three of them to stay on right now, which... Isn't yeah. surprising because there isn't anybody that they were going to pick up to replace them really either. So it's probably a an even bigger factor maybe than their own individual play so far. Yeah, if you were going to move on from Frank, you would have done it as soon as you got injured, exactly. <laughs> not just when yeah. he's on the you know the edge of coming back. Uh, Rod Boone reported that he is back practicing now, so it sounds like he will be back uh, any any time now. Um, but yeah, I, th I think look, Ish Smith has been Ish Smith is this amazing like power over everybody where like you look at stats you go this guy is freaking awful <laughs> you look at his stats there is like it is painful to see but you actually watch the games and i never really watched ish smith minutes and go ish smith is killing this team right now and um he is just he is, he is a way averaging like three points and two assists he is a way to like just trick everybody um i i think that would change if you actually had a you know a real backup quality lead guard you suddenly go oh this is what we're missing but look considering what he is 
inherited. I we talked about we didn't think he was the best backcourt option, but he was someone that was needed coming into the Hornet season. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't think he was going to move. So I think, yeah, pretty pretty solid business there. Um, well, not solid, but like pretty unspectacular, I should say. Um, next up, let's just do a little bit of injury updates. Um, just as we were coming on, uh, I think Rod Boone posted an article with some injury updates. Um, Lamella Ball is back in practice, being full participant. That is good, as is Frank Nilakina. Um, so it sounds like they are the closest two maybe to come back. Um, Gordon Hayward is outside of out of his walking boot. Um, we have Mark Williams, who Hornets PR posted just an update just as we start recording. Thank you, Hornets PR. Um, saying that Mark Williams will continue rehab his lower back injury as he works toward a return to play. Williams will be listed as out for one additional week, and updates on his status will be provided as appropriate. Um I don't know if I take that as very positive, if I'm honest. That sounds like we know he's going to be at least another week out, and it might be more. That's kind of like reading between the lines of PR speak, what I what I read into that. Um, I, I, Cody Martin is also questionable for the Bulls game tonight. We we're recording this on a Monday evening with a groin strain. Uh, PJ Washington also now has an ankle injury. Obviously, Gordon Hayward's still out. I mean, the injuries, you keep thinking it's going to get better, and it's actually just getting worse. <laughs> It's when when is this positive regression gonna happen, Chase? I was thinking that same thing. Like, I don't even know if you can calculate this, but if you could go through the same amount of games or to the same date that we're at right now in the season last year and add up mm-hmm. the games that Terry Rozier, Lamelo, now Brandon Miller, who wasn't even on the team last year, and then Mark Williams, Gordon Hayward, Cody Martin, like if you added up all those games. I would almost bet that this year so far, those collective like top you know seven players in your rotation, with the exception of PJ Miles, have probably missed more games at this point than they even did last year, which is just like it's Very insane fun. to think that that we were all coming out of that last year being like, okay, the one thing we have to look forward to is like we're not gonna get, you know, 82 games combined from Lamelo, Terry Rozier, and Hayward. But it seems like that's going to be the case this year, except instead of Terry, it's just Mark Williams, which you're just shifting the issues that you have to another thing, whereas last year it was they had no scoring whatsoever. Now they can't play any defense and still can't really score all that well because LaMelo is still hurt. It's just, it is a mess. It is an absolute mess. They've had serious injuries at the point guard position and the center position. Everywhere. And what, what two positions are they weak at? Center and point guard. We talked about it insistently throughout the offseason. We talked about it I think over the first and over time again. we brought that up was like July, and now here yes. we are in January, and it's still the exact same problem. Like it is Absolutely. just it's so bad. I, w- I will say, like, so obviously the Hornets, a lot of fans have levied a lot of criticism towards the injury communication, let's call it, from the Hornets organization. Um, and like, if you rewound the last two years, I have to say, I think they do things very differently now, um, if they could. I, I don't know who is behind injury updates, right? Is this is this something where the medical team basically kind of dictate what is communicated? Is this where PR are kind of interpreting what they get from the medical team and they're writing? Whatever it's happening, I have to say, they've tried to do it better, like with this update with Mark Williams. They gave updates about the mellow ball, which are kind of... But, I think everyone has to do better. Everyone across the board. Steve Clifford has to do better. 
you know, not just saying, oh, I don't know. I just coach the guys who turn up. I, I don't know when people are back soon. Like that's BS, by the way. Steve Clifford knows exactly what the where people are at. He's just not wanting to be drawn into giving timelines to the media. But like other teams do it and it works out okay. So why can't the Charlotte Hornets? So I think Steve Clifford has to be better communicating that because this is the kind of thing like you can lose games, but when you're you feel like you're being unclear or there's uncertainty among the fan base about what is happening with injuries, that's just like another thing that people are going to criticize you about. So I just think whether it's PR, the medical team, the coaches, if it's players speaking about everybody has to be better because this situation of this doubtful, out, questionable, probable, downgraded, it has been a, a real mess. And I, I, I don't know who's responsible, but there needs to be a conversation somewhere to improve this for fans because it's just like an easy punching bag right now because it looks like they're scrambling and don't know what they're doing. And even if they do know what they're doing, that's not the impression that they're given off, that they're making life harder for themselves by this poor communication and inconsistency and, and changing of status constantly. And really all it does is just add another thing to over the last two years, especially what has become a very long list of reasons for people to like, not necessarily like dislike the Hornets, but just be like frustrated yeah. as fans. Like there are so, so many things, a lot of which are out of the people that work for the team's control, granted. But even some of the things that have, have gone wrong in the last couple of years are, and this is one of them, that just give people reason to be upset and like complain or be mad at the team or be like, what are we, why are you keeping us in the dark like this or not updating us and but not being clear, like what seems to be like purposefully over long periods of time about injuries to important players on the team. And I totally understand that they're not like obligated to satisfy fans as like an organization, like they have to do, you know, what's best for them as a team and whatnot. But like you said, Pretty much every other team does this. They update their fans on when players are going to come back. Like Darius Garland for the Cavaliers currently has his jaw wired shut. And he like can't talk or eat like solid foods right now. And the Cavs are still being like, we don't like, they're literally giving like non-update updates. Being like, we don't have an update for you right now. He's still going to be out for a couple weeks. We'll reevaluate whenever. And we'll tell you how long, like once we actually have a timetable. Like the Hornets have not even approached anything like that in terms of like injury timetable management from like a public perspective, which again, they don't have to do it, but it clearly helps and is done by every other team in the league. So I, I, it would just add to the list of things that people could be upset about right now, which is not something that I think they should be <laughs> aiming to do. No. So yeah, this is something that I think, the new ownership group when they, when they're like reviewing everything i i already think this will surely be something that they need to just do a better job of communicating what the situation is um as we're speaking by the way cody martin has been downgraded to out so there we go um again like some questions here the last two games he's played 32 and 35 minutes like should cody martin be doing that after that as long as off he's had like i know the hornets have been shorthanded but if, you know, he played 17 minutes, 24, 19 in the 20s. And now he's up in like the mid 30s for two games in a row. And now he's a groin strain. Um, I have to say, I, I've defended a lot of like the Hornets medical side. It's just getting harder and harder because these like calf strain for Gordon Hayward, groin strain. These are things that can be like 
managed and are normally from like over overuse, overworking, not managing things right. You know, spelling on an ankle like PJ Washington, no one can do anything about that. But not all of these injuries, I think, are like equally bad luck. Some are things that the team have uh, control over. So it's frustrating, Chase. Um, yeah, and they're making things worse for the for themselves just with their inconsistent and confusing communication. But I think there are they are trying, like say with this Mark Williams update. I think they've heard the noise. What is going on? It's been a month. All we've got is questionable, questionable for two weeks, then out. They they've tried to do that, but why is that taking a month for that to happen? I I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, let's. We could talk about injuries. We literally could talk about injuries all night. So let's not do that. <laughs> um, NBA standings. You wanted to talk a little bit about the lottery and and the kind of general NBA standings and and where the Hornets uh, fit. So I'll, I'll let you lead off on that. Yeah. So over the last like week or so, as we've approached the turn of the calendar, and now we're well into 2024. Uh, it's becoming abundantly clear that we are probably in the midst of yet another lost season for the Charlotte Hornets. Currently sitting in the bottom of the Eastern Conference, 13th place, 8-25 and 25 as we record this before the Chicago Bulls game on Monday. Very well could be 8-26 and 26 after that one. Just a, another year where they're going to be looking forward to a you know top five draft pick rather than maybe a play-in push or even a playoff team. I just wanted to ask you a couple questions, James, because this is another year that we're going to have to be turning our focus to the draft after, you know, maybe four or five years at this point of doing so. Nobody really expected to do this, but do you think that how this season has gone is going to have any impact on maybe like their outlook at the trade deadline? Because now, originally, we were thinking maybe the Hornets won't even have a first round pick this year because it's lottery protected. If they had made the playoffs, it would have gone to San Antonio, I believe, is the owner of that pick now, which they originally traded to get back into the draft for Kai Jones, who is not on the team. Uh, but that pick is almost certainly going to convey now. But do you think that's going to change their outlook at the deadline here, knowing that they've almost certainly got a lottery pick coming up? Maybe they can afford to move another pick down the line or something like that, or just become sellers in general and just change their like overall philosophy as they approach the deadline here, which is exactly one month from today as we record this episode. Yeah. I mean, I, to be honest, I always thought they were going to be sellers. Like even if they'd been in line to finish ninth or eighth, I, I didn't think this theme with the front office in place for the new ownership was going to be like putting on assets on the table to really go get people. Um, I was, and, and like just with the expiring contract of Hayward, it, it just leads you to easier to be a seller than it is a buyer. And there's like, still with this team, you, you want to see some of these pieces play together and they've still not been able to see that yet. So um, I guess if, if the team were thinking that they were going to be a, a playoff team, then yes, it will absolutely change what you're going to be doing at the deadline. But if I'm being honest, I think everyone in the building knew this year was like a, like again, another holdover year. Let's just see what we've got. Like, let's get this coach in this front office one last year. Um, but uh, you know, new ownership group. Let's analyze and evaluate what's here. But you look, you could tell what they did in free agency. I mean, the, the passiveness in, in free agency in the draft, the lack of intent to get bring in impact players. I don't think they were ever uh, really making a push for this season. So I, I don't think it changes anything for me, but. I, I agree. I mean, the Hornets, 
I think are going to be pretty much be in the exact same situation as last year, where I think Washington, Detroit, and San Antonio may all continue to be worse than them. And actually, it wouldn't surprise me if some of them overtook Charlotte. But like, I think they will be clearly probably a step down from the Hornets, assuming the Hornets get healthy. And then like the Hornets and probably the Blazers are in a similar thing there, like looking for that fourth and fifth pick odds. And then like everyone else is just like so disconnected. Like, even if the Hornets like won some games later in the season, I think they're going to be so far off the the Hawks or the Grizzlies or the Jazz or the Raptors. Um, I don't think it's even going to like affect them. I don't think they're going to have to tank. Like we had this situation last year. They didn't have to tank because they were locked in the fourth team's odds from basically February onwards. I think it's literally going to be pretty much the same apart from maybe Portland, Charlotte, let go a little bit head-to-head. But in this draft, I mean, it doesn't even matter. I'm, I'm not even worried about it. Last year I was. This year I'm like, I think I'd rather pick four or five than one or two because I, I do not like this class at all. That is a perfect segue into my next question, James, because I was going to say, with the top of this draft class being pretty widely renowned as one of the weaker in the last couple of years, you think it's worth it just to like, I mean, last year, I'm sure at the end of the season, especially like Gordon Hayward was out, PJ Washington was out like that last game of the season. It was very clear that they weren't necessarily trying to win with the lineup and the style of play that they were putting out there. Do you think that that anything like that is even worth doing this year? Or should they just kind of bring LaMelo back as soon as he's ready, bring Hayward back as soon as he's ready, if that's before the deadline? and just kind of roll with it and see how many games they can win down the stretch here and just kind of give this group a, a, a positive send-off after what's been a tumultuous couple of years. Well, for Hayward, it would just be get him healthy and then showcase him to for trade. Like, that is strictly what I'd be looking to do. Um, I think those are the players you need to get back on the court, yeah. I, I think that you, you have big roster decisions to make going into this offseason. Like, who are you keeping? Who fits with Lamella Ball? How do Bridges and Brandon Miller play together with Lamella on the court? Like, there are so many questions that you need to have some form of answer to. And the best chance you're going to get is towards the end of the season. So, yeah, I think get everyone back on the court uh, because I just don't think, like, even if they win 10 of 14 games and they overtake the Blazers, zero impact on anything, in my opinion. So, I think the you get more value from seeing the guys on the floor seeing what works together, because that intel is going to be so important when it comes to roster building with a new front office uh, this offseason. I completely agree with you, because even though the goal of uh, you know the potential reset that a lot of people want to see is to not have that many holdovers in terms of like players and coaches or anything, you don't want to establish any more bad habits than you already have with the players that you do keep. So yeah. I'm totally with you. Might as well just ride it out at the end of the year, win as many games as you can. Picking... You know, fifth and eighth in this class is a very minuscule difference. There's kind of like a top nine or ten players, I guess, that are widely regarded in the consensus as being like the best players in this class. And there's a pretty significant drop off after that until you get to like the second round. So the Hornets do not have a lot to worry about in that regard. But it seems as if we've got another year of kind of watching where the lottery odds are rather than watching how many games back or games ahead they are in the playoff standings, but nothing we're not used to by now as Hornets fans. So we can take it, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to our, our main section here. We want to give some recognition to the 
the lesser known guys in this roster. Um, we're going to come to Nick Smith Jr. second. We're going to start with Nathan Mensah, Chase. I have to say, I've been watching and enjoying Nathan Mensah's minutes. Um, people be being like, why am I listening to a Hornets podcast with a main section about Nathan Mensah? And by the way, the only picture I could find of him on our, like, uh, our image bank that we can use or Hornets was this weird photo, if you're watching on YouTube, of Nathan Mensah like, bent over at a 90-degree <laughs> angle. It looks like he's just been kicked in the nuts, um, which is bizarre. So that is Nathan Mensah, if you're wondering who the, who the heck is that on YouTube. Um, I have a question to kick this off. Is Nathan Mensah better than Kai Jones right now? Like right now, definitely. I, I can, yeah, I, I think so. Agree. He's a more he's a more competent defensive center. And if you're oh. just asking a player to come off the bench and play like in the a dozen or so minutes a game, like Nathan Mensa is definitely more reliable, consistent, and yeah, he's just overall better at it. I think than Kai Jones, is which is every- a crazy thing to say, but yeah, that's definitely true. He's the antithesis of Kai Jones. Kai Jones is yeah. like I'm big. I'm athletic. I like to shoot pull-ups. Like, I have no idea what's going on on the court. I, I play outside of myself all the time. Whereas Nathan Mensah is just the complete opposite of that. Like, stays in his lane, knows exactly what he needs to do, has great defensive awareness, does all the little things, you know, muscling in before the play really starts. Um, they're polar opposites of players, but you can understand why coaches like guys like Nathan Mensah. Um, because he's been really impressive. Chase... He is third in the NBA in charges per 36 minutes. That was my stat too. Yes. That was my stat. Let's go. I was I think this is as of January 5th. The Hornets themselves actually tweeted out. This is how you know the the whole team is in on the Nathan Mensa experience. He was yes. tied for second in the NBA in total charges drawn with five since making his debut on mm. December 15th. That man is willing to sacrifice his body for the betterment of the team. And We've talked about this on many episodes. There are not many or any players on the Hornets that are willing to do that right now. They needed a guy like Nathan Mensah that was willing to go out there and do the dirty work. And he's he's standing out because of it. Like You can't have watched the Hornets in the last couple weeks and not have just noticed him and been like, who is – like maybe if you didn't know who he was, like didn't watch college basketball, pay attention to Greensboro or E10 signings or two ways or whatever – you say, who is that guy? Number 31? I had no idea there was a 31 on the Hornets and he's playing like backup center because Mark's out. Like, And then now you watch, you know, two, three, four games and all of a sudden he's a pretty good rebounder. He's really, really active inside the paint. He's super physical. He's not afraid to push people around. Obviously is drawing a lot of charges. I'm pretty sure he's already surpassed Brandon Miller for total charges drawn uh, among rookies, which is like, again, like second or third place among rookies total. And he's played like a hundred or so minutes already. Like, it's just really, it's obviously he's still a very limited offensive player. And even defensively, he's not like elite. He's just good enough to get by as an NBA backup for now. But this is definitely a fun thing to watch. And a a good storyline that's developed from this menagerie of injuries here is that, you know, the Hornets may have scraped up another capable backup or rotation player on a, two-way here yeah i mean he's never going to be a guy that you probably want to be in your rotation like, oh, abs- yes absolutely but, not but if you're talking about someone to have on the two when he got signed to the two-way i was kind of a bit like well i i guess but i i didn't really see anything in summer league that made me think nathan mensa's a good option but now i'm like oh well 
like spot minutes when there's an injury crisis, like does all the little things, plays the right way, um, you know, protects the rim pretty well, actually gets some blocks. But even when he doesn't block shots, he, he's just like physical. He fights through screens. He he really anticipates well. This is the thing that like, he reads the other mm. offensive teams so well. And he's always able to kind of put himself in the right position. Um, you know, he's not really athletic. He's not super quick. He's not super big, but he's just strong and smart. And I mean, he should be, even though he's a rookie, I think he's 25, 26 years old. He's like super I think he old. had six college seasons. He, yeah, he's a very experienced basketball player, even though he's only a rookie. He is. But like, that's that's the kind of stuff that the Hornets are needed over the years, right? These like smart, physical, not the most flashy when you see him in workouts. But you watch them say basketball, you go, oh, oh yeah, I see. He impacts the game. And I just think in this lost season, these are the little storylines that we need to latch on to because he's done really well with zero expectation. People making jokes when they sign Nathan Mensah. And like he matched up, was it with Jokic one night? Who was it the next night? There was a, he, he had like two all-star guys back to back. It was that uh, when they played uh, the Lakers? Sabonis. Oh, Sabonis, okay. Sabonis and Jokic and AD as well. Yeah. And like you watching it and they were not getting whatever they wanted against him. Um, yeah, I just just shout out Nathan Mensa. We don't we don't give this guy any recognition. No one's ever talked about him probably in a basketball context since he left college, but we're doing so now because he deserves it. So we want to say shout out Nathan Mensa. We we respect the hustle. Shout out to Nathan Mensa. Um, Nick Smith Jr. I let you you go here. We, someone we've not really touched on in in too much detail. I think the last time we did our such all prospects are, are kind of nine and 45 or whatever it was, nine 60. He wasn't in the rotation at all, but we've been able to see a good bit of Nick Smith Jr. here due to injuries. What have you made so far of his minutes? So to me, I'm obviously overall encouraged just because the context with which he is getting these minutes is not the best for a developmental player. Like I, I said this last year, I'm not a fan of the, you know, Houston Rockets style of rebuilding or tanking where you just feed minutes to like a lineup full of young players. It doesn't necessarily result in the most fruitful uh, style and or successful style of basketball, which is what we've seen a lot of the times with the Hornets this year. But Nick Smith has definitely shown some very positive things. I think most of all to me, and granted this is on somewhat low volume, but he's shooting 51% from three this year. Like he has taken 49 of them in 18 games, 227 minutes. This is not, again not a huge sample size, not great volume, but he's shooting enough to where you can believe that you know maybe this 51% extrapolated over a much larger sample size. And when he's a little older and more experienced, maybe he's like a 38 to 40% shooter. And a lot of these are like pretty difficult shots. Like he hit oh, that yeah. one, I think it was against Denver, where he was like he came off a he came off a handoff and was like drifting into the left corner was like extremely off balance, but set his feet like just enough and was came when rose up on balance and got it off. And it went straight down. Like that is a very difficult shot to make, especially for a guy that's like not really regarded as a three point shooter. Like that, that's impressive to be able to kind of do that stuff just on a whim in the NBA. He's not necessarily somebody that gets a ton of stuff ran for him or has like the highest usage rate in the world. Although he does actually get, a pretty good share of like ball handler reps when he's in there. He's obviously not like somebody that starts or even plays all that much when he does get minutes. I think he tops out around like 22 or 24 is probably the most he's played in the game. But so far, like as, as he's gotten more playing time gradually throughout the year, which 
sure he's earned it partially. A lot of it is because of injury. He's continued to prove to Steve Clifford, to the Hornets front office, that there are a lot of things to buy into with his skill set. He has great touch. He's a really good ball handler. And most of all, he has shown a ton of effort on def- on defense, and that shooting is really coming around so far. Like that, I I've, I think it's overall you can be encouraged by him, but you know the as a rookie will do, he'll pull out you know every two or three games and just have a pretty rough performance in terms of t- terms of turnovers or on ball defense or just start missing some shots. But overall, very encouraging signs from Nick Smith to me. What about you, James? Yeah, I mean, anytime you're the last pick basically in the first round and you're able to to show anything is 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 a good start so look the, the shooting is very real okay he's not a 51 percent shooter but you can tell because like the gradient of difficulty on some of these looks is high these are not just i'm catching the ball and i'm shooting wide open like some of these are off the dribbles when people are going under in screens they're coming off curls like you say, that that one step back to his left, I mean, that was a, an extremely mm-hmm. hard to feel. Like, there's not many guys in this roster who'd even attempt that shot. Um, and and his shot making is super impressive. I agree with you on the touch. He's shown it on the floater as well. I, I don't think he's a good ball handler yet. Um, and he probably won't ever be, if I'm being honest. Like, I think it'll be fine-ish. Um, I will say, as impressive as the tough shot making is, and I don't want to be negative, but he does really struggle to generate easy shots for himself or others. Like everything he takes has to be difficult because he doesn't have great burst. Um, he, he like, he's always like, it's always a step back kind of with him because that's general. And like, if you're good enough to do that all the time, like actually that's okay. But it, it doesn't mean that the level of shooting that you, ha- you have to have is of an extremely high level, because if you're not putting on any rim pressure and you're not recreating that much for others, then you you need to be a lights out shooter. Now, if you keep shooting it like he is, that isn't a problem. But those things will come down to earth at some point. But I I still think he needs to find a way to to get easy shots to get to the rim. I think he has what what is it his his uh, five rim attempts on the season. Uh, his foul rate is non-existent. I think it's like zero point one percent free throws per game. Um, he's actually done a good job not turning the ball over as much as he did in summer league. He's not been given like the ball as much he was in, in Greensboro or in some leagues. So he's been able to play more as a wing than a lead guard, which he was doing in those development settings, which I still think is good for him because if he can give you on-ball reps, that just adds another tool to his arsenal. But I mean, Steve Clifford even said in a pregame the other day that he's a wing. Like we don't even view him as a guard. Mm-hmm. He, he's a wing. Um, and that's just because of his how he works at the minute. Like he is an off-ball shooting guard. And that's great. But he has to find more things to add to his, you know, his his skill set, and that will come. Like for him to show this level of shooting at this stage in this rookie season, that's enough to go. There's something here, but we have to create the complete picture of a player for him to be an every night rotation player. You know, when that shooting regresses, if you go zero for five, how else is Nick Smith Jr. impacting the game? At the minute, probably not. Okay, maybe maybe hustle play here and there, but. That's that's what he needs to work on, um, while also trying to keep up this the shooting level. But I'd say he's someone I get excited when he comes to the game. I think fans do too. They like seeing him. It feels like every shot he takes is going to go in. And even though he takes these hard shots, I don't feel like they're bad shots because a lot of the time he kind of will take those shots when he feels the team needs it, when the ball isn't moving, when the second unit is struggling. 
he doesn't like wave people off and take them. He just kind of like seems to sense the moment at the right times, which is quite a mature thing to say. Yeah, he's very good at deferring at the right times. He doesn't like yeah. chuck up shots. You you would not complain about his shot selection really at all so far, I don't think. He just tends to miss or have tough shots. And like you said, because he can't necessarily create the space or absorb contact in a way that allows him to have easier looks, which to me, like him getting stronger is going to be imperative because that will solve a lot of the things that you just talked about, like the rim pressure and the ability to actually get to the rim and make plays for others. If he can't do that with his ball handling, which I think I'm probably a little bit higher on than you are by the sound of it, but even if that, that doesn't come around and he just remains like a decent ball handler for his position, if he's strong enough to like move defenders off of their spot on his way into the paint, he's going to create mm. space for himself. He's going to force. If he's strong play. enough. I, yeah, he exactly. not have a strong build. He, oh, he's like not, not at all right now. Oh, yeah. yes. And that is a huge thing as to why he does only get those like off balance shots or extremely contested looks in the paint is because he's not moving anybody. In fact, most of the time he is the one that gets moved around when uh, in taking any sort of contact on the way to the rim. But if he could either become like a very good ball handler and expand even further on his court vision, which seems pretty decent so far, he makes a lot of pretty good like kick out passes and swing passes and stuff like that. But he's got to do that or become a lot stronger so he can move guys around a little bit and create space for himself. Because like you said, the tough shots, they don't look bad like to the eye or they don't come like out of the flow of the offense but they're just tough shots. Like they, you're not going to shoot an extremely high percentage on them forever. Like in college, he did take a pretty decent amount of off the dribble jumpers shot 36.4% of them on them in the NBA right now. He is seven for 14 on pull-up threes. Like the 51, 50% shooting on catch and shoot and pull-ups is not sustainable. It's probably going to fall a little bit closer to his college numbers. And in college, he struggled to, you know, create rim pressure, make plays for teammates affect the game when he wasn't making shots. So these are the same things that he struggles with now. So yeah. I think that's a positive sign, at least that he's struggling with similar things. So, you know what you need to target and work on going forward, but definitely uh, a couple of things that have stood out so far, yeah. but I, I am still encouraged. It's, it's a positive sign to get anything like oh, this right. from the 27th yeah, pick. Yeah. Like you said, it's, it's hard not to find his style of game exciting. Right. Um, but mm -hmm. equally, I just think we should safeguard against in the disappointment that this Hornet season has been. It's easy to latch onto anything positive and like overinflate it. And um, I just want people to to understand that this isn't just we need to play Nick Smith Jr. twenty five minutes per night, and he's like you know there are still a lot of things that he needs to add to his toolbox, um, and that he is a little bit one dimensional right now. Um, so th there is definitely stuff that, that Nick needs to continue to build on. Um, but it's been an encouraging start. Okay. Let's move on. PJ Washington chase. I look, I know PJ was very much your guy. You know, you were a big PJ guy last year. I know you went on Buzzbeat podcast and you did a podcast with them about PJ Washington. I know you were very hopeful that the team were going to assign him in, uh, the off season. What have you made of the P.J. Washington season? Because he's sprained his ankle now. It feels like it's going to be out for a little bit of time. It feels like we've kind of got a good sample size. Uh, after he started the season really well, then he's just kind of like slumped after the first five games or so. Um, what are your thoughts on, like, has anything changed with P.J. Washington in your mind from this season? So 
I've always kind of envisioned PJ as somebody that when the Hornets were good, he his consistency, inconsistency problems would maybe level out a little bit. Because when the Hornets were good, that was obviously still like the thing that you could point to about his game that was a, the biggest negative or biggest weakness or whatever. But when you're coming off the bench every game, when you're the fifth option on the team scoring every game and your job is to just kind of fill in the gaps, put up, you know, 10 points, five rebounds and play good defense. That is perfectly fine to be a little bit inconsistent. Most role players in the NBA are very inconsistent. When you are, you know, put in situations, especially last year, not so much this year, which is why it's a little bit more disappointing now, but especially last year when you've got to be a lead option or second option or somebody that's like a volume floor spacer and like main pick and pop target for your point guard because your starting center is out and the backup center can only roll to the rim and doesn't have any ball skills like PJ becomes the only guy really that can reliably operate in a ball screen with Terry and do anything other than just dive towards the rim so that to me though is not really his game like you don't want him as somebody that's involved in like every little thing in your offense because he's not like he's like a jack of all trades he's not overly skilled in any one area he's a pretty good shooter for his size he's a pretty good passer for his size he can handle the ball a little bit He's an okay shot creator. But when you put those things in the second option or the third option or a starter or something, that's obviously not going to look great. Now this year, he hasn't had to do that quite as much and it still hasn't really worked out as well. My thinking is that like, there's just not really a whole lot to look forward to on a team like this for a player like PJ. He has to feel like maybe he's on the move coming up. Like there can't be that many players on the roster that feel overly secure. Like, We mentioned on episodes before, these guys obviously see the writing on the wall with the coaching staff all having one-year contracts that are up at the end of the year. The whole front office is on contracts that are up at the end of the year. They kind of, uh, these guys can infer that when that happens, the players on the team are also going to be changed around a little bit too. PJ is a prime candidate for something like that, is a guy pretty much every year whose name comes up at the trade deadline in some form or fashion of like, oh, you know, this playoff level team is looking to trade for pj washington as like their missing piece or something i think like the kings the warriors have been that team before i'm sure there'll be another team that does it this year but now it seems like the value that the hornets would get for him is not quite as high as it was i mean he's only had one 20 point game since november which again not his role but In situations like this, you're looking for players that can step up and elevate your team when better players go out. PJ just does not seem to be one of those guys on a very consistent basis, which I don't necessarily blame him for, but obviously that, you know, limits your standing as a player. So you can only do so much with that. That's why he gets paid $14 million a year instead of the 20 that he was asking. Because if he was a little bit better last year, he maybe would have gotten it. But it was obvious that he wasn't, you know, a second option. He was a fourth or fifth option and but even now that's still not working out which is why yeah, I, I, I i agree but. to an extent but then equally i'm like we can't keep saying for every single player on the team like well it's just not a great ideal situation for them like i i do agree yeah, with that it's, it's just tricky right it's there's only there are only like two players on this team that are really like first or second options. One of them is a 21 year old rookie. So I I do get I get that completely and I agree. That's why they got to make moves and kind of shift stuff I think around got a team here. Team full of fourth working. options. I think exactly like a bunch, exactly. It's a bunch I of like agree. third and fourth option guys, and and everybody thinks that 
they should have that. I mean, you talk, so Gordon Hayward went on the uh, podcast. He talked about why it didn't work in Boston because they had yep. too many guys wanting to, you know, wanting to prove it. You got the same thing as Charlotte. You got Lamella Ball, budding all star, Brandon Miller, the number two overall pick. Terry Rozier, hey, I've been here from the start as the, you know, the guy leading the scoring. Miles Bridges fighting his way back. PJ Washington fighting for his place. Like, you've got so many guys there who scoring is probably one of the first things you talk about when you describe them as a player. And I mean, for PJ Washington, like, for me, it's kind of simple that his real value is as a floor spacer who can play the four. And he's just not shot the ball well this year. You look at all the numbers, that's that's what's down. Everything else is pretty much the same. Uh, he's shooting 23% from the corner, which is just dragging his percentages way down. Uh, he has like been a 35 to 40% shooter from the corners for his whole career. Uh, his actual shooting from above the arc is pretty similar in line with previous years. Um, but when you're a guy who relies on shooting and you have down shooting seasons like he seems to be having... Now, yeah, the context hasn't been great because it's been less open shots because people have been injured. The offense has been terrible. So he's been having to take probably more tougher threes than wide open ones. And he's a guy who can convert wide open ones at a good rate. But, I mean, I just think everything kind of looks the same. The shot looks the same. Um, I, I think his confidence looks good. I just think they haven't gone down and he's been taking a slightly harder diet sometimes I think he takes him a little bit early on the clock, like sometimes, but he's always, he's always done that. He's always been like a heat check guy who, if he's hot, he'll try and take an early shot. But I don't know. I just think it's pretty simple. He's a guy who relies on shooting for value and he's shooting it worse this year. It doesn't make me think anything different to what I thought in the off season. I think he's like a fine backup front court player to have. Um, but he's not done anything to think, well, you know, coming into the year, PJ Washington or Miles Bridges, who will it be? I mean, the answer's pretty pretty crystal clear now. Um, I, I think he'll be in trade talks again. Um, and it, I think he'd actually be better on a better team, like on a team that is able to generate generate more open shots. I think it would actually be better for, for PJ in that role. So I, I still think teams could stiff around trying to take off some value. I totally agree. And that $14 million salary, pretty easy to trade for for a competitive team that has like a mid-level any sort of like, yeah, any mid-level exception level player is going to be very easy to match with PJ. So I, I, I've likened in my notes that I said PJ Washington is vanilla ice cream, right? You know, like some days you take, you taste it and you go, this vanilla is really good. And then other days are like, this vanilla is so dull and boring. Like I'm just not interested um, so I'm, I'm saying that PJ Washington, you are vanilla ice cream in both the good and the bad sense. Like no one hates vanilla. Everyone like is fine with vanilla, but who really likes it? You know, that is PJ Washington. And even at this point, as one of the foremost PJ Washington fans in the Hornets universe right now, he's in his fifth season with the Hornets. They've been above 500 once. You just gotta move players that are a part that are a part of groups like that after a while. Like he can he can be as good as he wants and be, you know, project to be this this type of player on like maybe a better team, but you haven't been able to get there with PJ and multiple other players as part of that group. So at a certain point, you just gotta like change is a good thing. You just need to shuffle the deck chairs around a little bit and just see what happens if stuff yeah. is different. 
I have to say, the draft scout and PJ was spot on, which was like, he'll be a stretch four, but his ceiling isn't that high. And like, what else does he do? And it's kind of true. Like, he, he's not really improved in any areas. Like, he was a terrible defensive rebounder in his rookie mm. year, and he's remained so, basically. He's like, the only, I'd say, area of development I've really seen is that kind of like slow down, sidestep, mid-range finish, which he kind of really found in the last couple of years. But that's the only aspect of his game that I feel like has really taken major strides since his rookie year. Defensively, I think he has improved, but every player improves defensively in year five compared to being a rookie. So that's, you know, nothing I think has made massive strides. But it's it's just frustrating, frustrating that he, he was very NBA ready, I think, when we came in. Um, and he's very much still that same player now that he was in that rookie season. There's not much has changed. I hate to agree with you, but yeah, it's it's just kind of the things he's good at have gotten a little bit better. The things that he wasn't so good at, like the mid-range finishing, slightly better, but not not quite good enough to elevate yeah. this Hornets group at all over the last couple of years, unfortunately. No. Okay, uh, that ends it for this week. Uh, slightly shorter episode. Uh, we're going to be ramping up with some more exciting stuff coming forward. Um, so make sure you're tuned in ahead of the trade deadline. One month today, like you said, that is that's even closer than I thought. Um, I have some podcasts coming out with a uh, with some team representatives where we're going to be doing some mock trade talks. Um, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, to have some Greensboro stuff also in the diary coming up. Um, so I will I will let you know. But uh, thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Um, and we will catch you next week after the Wembenyama versus Miller show. Thanks, everybody. See you soon. Bye.